What's up, everyone? I think you guys are going to love today's episode with Adam, the real 27 guy. Without a doubt, many of you guys have known him already. He's a collector. He's a content creator. He has his own podcast called The Basketball Card Podcast, which is filled, filled, filled with amazing interviews, information, and insights. He also has a really cool digest of sorts. It's called The Basketball Card Fanatic. And trust me, it's three editions in, and these are in-depth, researched topics. I think you're going to love it. We talk about it a little bit here today, but Adam is a private equity guy. He's super smart and cerebral and thoughtful about how he goes about making money in the hobby. And a ton of you guys have submitted questions. How do I build my collection? How do I grow my collection? How do I make money in the hobby? Say no more. We have it all in today's episode. I think you guys are going to love it. Make sure to stay till the end because we have some really interesting giveaways and tidbits there. Love you guys. Stay tuned. Luca Nation. We have a really, really, really special guest here today, uh, Mr. Adam Gray. I have no doubt you guys know this guy. He's the Real 27 guy on Instagram. He has the Basketball Card Podcast on Apple iTunes, uh, and he just released what I literally think is like the modern-day Beckett review, uh, and he sent it out every weekend. Uh, I believe it's every weekend. You'll, you'll correct me here in a second, Adam, but it's just really good to have you on. Adam's encyclopedia of cards, hobby knowledge, and, and everything in between, so I'm really excited to have you on, Adam. Dude, you are awesome. Thanks for the, thanks for the introduction. I would love to send it out every weekend, but I would probably, my wife would probably ask for a divorce. My work would probably fire me and um, I would, I would run out of material probably faster. I do it once a month, but Mm -hmm. still it's a, it's definitely a, it's definitely a lift. Well, we'll we'll get into it because I want to, there's a ton of value and we'll get into it in this conversation. Uh, I wanted to open up with something because I love serendipity. I love timing. And just the other day, we got a message from one of our fans and basically he was saying, you know, I'm looking around, I'm seeing all these people with amazing collections, but how do I build that collection? Like, how do I get there from where I'm at to these beautiful collections that people post on Instagram? I'm doing some research for this podcast today with Adam and I go to his last episode and it's how he built his connection, uh, collection, I apologize. And he had five principles that I'd love for you to talk about because I think it's You know, we always want to bring value to our community. And I feel like this is hands down, just like a crash course on how he did it. And the five principles, Adam, and I'd love for you to talk about them is have a long-term perspective, buy with your head and your heart. Don't sell cards with the greatest upside. I love that one. Don't bust wax. And there are many ways (laughs) to make money in the hobby. And I hear Cage laughing over there. So Cage, welcome to the show as well. I'm excited to have you here too. Dude, I've been here the whole time, man. You know, monthly, weekly. He, you know, he does it weekly. He loses wife. He loses. He loses a job. So far, so that sounds good. You know, you know, you get to live, live the single life. You don't have to answer to a boss. You just start thinking through this weekly. P.S. Andrew makes me do this every day. He's a damn slave driver. I wish he only made me do it once a month. So, about those five. 
my my take number four: don't break wax. What are you? You gonna take all the fun out of the hobby? Come on now. All right. Well, I'll let you go through them. Please go ahead. He, he, Adam thing. Adam had an asterisk. He said, "I know I'm gonna get a little bit of pushback on these five. He you said it in his episode. I have all five of them. I opened up my spreadsheet real quick to make sure that I could remember what the five were. Um, <laughs> And and one of them is in bold, and it's the don't buy wax. <laughs> <laughs> don't bust that. Well, I so, get it. Trust me, I do. I get it. I get like, it. I mean, it's it's as fun as it's it's as much fun as you can have to like sit down and open something, right? But I have like a really obsessive, addictive personality, and so if I open a box and I'm not satisfied with it, what am I going to do? I'm going to open another one and another one, and all of a sudden, all the gains that I've taken over the years through all of my buying and selling and all that stuff, suddenly I've spent it on an experience rather than on something that's going to have more of a long-term um, effect. And so like, I believe, I believe that I can make, I believe I can buy things that are smart buys. I don't believe I can necessarily pick boxes that'll have great things in them. I believe more in them. You know what I mean? I get you. Trust me, I do. And listen, I'm not going to shit on it too much because I can tell you about 90% of the time when I open wax, uh, it, it ends with me asking the same question, which is why in the hell did I do this? Because you're never getting value out of those boxes. It's like buying a lottery ticket. You know what I mean? Every once in a while you do it. And it's that, that, that you know, Andrew will tell you that first time you try heroin, it's the best. And you're always chasing that, that high the same way. You know, it's never the same as the first one. So, you know, what happens? It's like gambling. You know, you know what the what greatest high is, Cage? It's personal development. The greatest yeah. high in life is getting better than you were yesterday. But but if you think if you look at his yeah. episode, and I highly we're gonna link it in today in the podcast. Oh. You look at that episode, it's how I built my collection, right? It's not yes. how do I have fun in the hobby. Yep. Because if that's the topic, maybe it is breaking wax because wax okay. is super fun. You're you're in a room with people, you're celebrating together. But the the question, and we got this question cage from our yep. audience member. So value how I built my collection. What was so amazing about what Adam said there was I built it. I'm making hot tea. I apologize. Um, how I built it was <laughs> he reinvested. No teapot. They, we, he reinvested his profits. He had a budget from the, from the beginning. He had one card in a budget and he just used that to build up the amazing collection he has now. So I'd love to start there. There's it. a whole variety of topics I want to talk to you about. We're going to let him get in there one second, but this is how selfless the guy is, Adam. Andrew is so selfless. We had Andrew, we had uh, uh, Adam Lefko on. He's getting married, and we went through his uh, we went through his wedding registry to send him a gift as a thank you, and we gave him this tea maker. It's kind of like you know, like a hot water you know deal. And and obviously Andrew could have used that for himself because he's making tea in the microwave. But he's so selfless. They sent that to our guests. So at the end of this, make sure you drop some hints to Andrew about what maybe you would like for coming on as well, because he's making tea in the microwave. That's the sacrifices that he's making for this podcast right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but go ahead, man. I'll shut up. I'm sorry. I'm in rare form. Just... Andrew already <laughs> makes me like him more than I already did, because I'm all about like where you can save that few bucks, right? Like at the end of the day, it's a dollars and cents thing, right? And so if you can save a few bucks here and there on doing different things, make your tea in the freaking microwave, right? Make it in the microwave. So I'm not a tea drinker, but uh, if I did make tea, Andrew, you and me, we would, we'd both be making it. My uh, man. So yeah, so like, I, I love the idea of talking about that episode. I think of all of the episodes that I've done, I think I've done like, I don't know, 50 something. Over 50, episodes. over 50. You just hit that benchmark. Congrats. Yeah. So ba- basketball card, the, the basketball card podcast, I, I don't want to be like, the guy who, who calls something, you know, something, you know, where everybody else has the same sort of thing, but um, 
like I was, I think I was the first person to do a basketball card podcast. So when in 2016, when I started, I was mm-hmm. like, I call this the basketball card podcast. And that's probably my most listened to episode, or at least one of them at this point. And all I did in that episode was basically say, okay, and I'll, I'm like, this is, this is the, the cliff notes version. In 2011, I bought a house and to buy my house, I had to sell my collection. I kept some, I kept about a thousand dollars worth of cards and I took a thousand dollars worth of cash. And I said, this is my budget. I segregated it completely from all of my other funds and everything else. I had a PayPal account that was just for cards and I I segregated it. And I said, what can I create with this basically $2,000? And that's basically what I've been doing for the last nine years. And my collection today is probably worth a little bit more than $2,000, maybe possibly. Yeah, that, that Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, Eminence uh, auto might be just a little over 2K. Yeah, the, the Larry Bird might be might be more than 2,000. I don't know. The um, the uh, some of the other stuff might be. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to know what stuff is worth. But, um, you know, I've listened. I've listened to some of the stuff that you guys have done. You guys, um, how you talk, how you guys collect and how I collect. Like, it's great. We're just very we're, we're different. Like we all do different things in one of your in one of your last episodes. You talked about. Um, you talked about the value of liquidity and, and set and buying and selling stuff. That's more like the price is readily determinable. Like there was a point in time where that was a lot of what I was into. I, it's not what I'm into anymore at all. And having said that, like my, my, my punchline, and it's been my punchline from the beginning has been, you know, buy what you like. And if you, if that's what you want to be transacting in, like that's what you guys, that's what you should do. I would tell anybody, if that's what you want to buy, that's what you should do. That's not what I do anymore. Like my collection is largely like one-off, you know, rare, like uh, hard, like I love the chase. You know, I want to find something that is not on eBay. I want to find something that I have to look for, for sometimes years. And then when I find it, like have this moment of like, yes, I finally found the thing. That's the thing about the collection that's so enjoyable to me is that chase and looking for something for a long time. And, um, you know, that's- just to put some color on it, right? So tell me what the current card, what's the grail you're looking for right now? What's the one that's eluded you for the better part of this year that you're looking for that's just not popping up on eBay? Let me ask, let, let me answer a different question, but similar. All right, ducking me, ducking me in the first 10 minutes is never a good way. <laughs> never a good way to be with me because I'm going to ride you for the next 50. You'll, 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 like, you'll like the answer though, because it has All to do with the last episode. All right. Um, so you guys just did this episode on, on Luca and Trey, right? Yep. And you, your conversation was largely based around a card. You're yep. talking about like the PSA 10 prism and you'll talk about the silver. Like, to me, those things are clearly like amazing and people love them. But to me, I own one card of one of those guys. I own a single tray card and it's the optic gold vinyl right it's the best card of tray from optic and to me that's like that was the thing that i wanted to find of tray like i didn't care to go out get, and get all the little things now going and getting all the little ones and then selling them later and flipping them enables you to get the big thing right that's not lost on me so i do see the appeal like completely see the appeal of taking something and then trading and trade and like and then getting something that's really hard to find in the end but like i want to get the thing in the end in the beginning that i'm going to want to own in the end and so um you know in, in answer to your question i really like that's not what i'm looking for now but that's 
that's how I think about collecting is like the, the, the really like rare thing rather than, than the thing that like a lot right, of- Put yourself back in your shoes back in 2011. You just sold your house. You just sold, you just bought your house. You just sold all your cards, right? And you have a thousand dollars cash and you have a thousand dollars in your card collection, right? That's where 90%, 90% of our audience is right now or 60% of our audiences right now. So they can't use your methodology. They're going to use the methodology that you had back in 2011 if you just sold your house. So you got a $2,000 budget and they have to start low. They have to start with that more liquid thing with an eye towards building, building. So you have those cards now that are in your collection because for the better part of a decade, you've been now switching your philosophy. And maybe these people will be switching their philosophy as well after they've built up a little bit. Um, not everybody can come into the hobby right now and say, all right, this is the way I'm going to do it. And I love your way of doing it. And by, by all means, if you have the means to do it, you know, and you're going to buy one Luca card, go out there and find a PSA 10 National Treasure RPA out of 99 and don't buy any of his base cards. You know, um, I don't have the means to do that. Most of our audience doesn't. But I trust me, I get what you're saying. And, and that's the cool thing about what we talk about, right? It's the cool thing about what we do. There is no cookie cutter right way of doing it. And, and right. I, I, will, I will mirror what you said until the day I stop collecting, which will be, you know, coffin time. It'll be, uh, you know, buy what you love, you know, buy what you want, right? Buy what's going to make you happy in this. And if, if, if building a pyramid or a stack of Trey Young Prism PSA 10 base cards is the way that you're going to love looking at your hobby and enjoying it, then by all means, guys, go out and do that. If buying that gold vinyl optic PSA 10, which you know you might be one of only a few people in the world who have that, is the way you're going to, you know, that's what's going to make you smile. That's great. Let me, let me, let me hone in on one and maybe you'll answer The gold vinyl is one of one. The chase, right? The chase is so gold vinyl is one on one, or gold vinyl they make five of in some products, right? So the the tray optic is is one on one. Wow, yeah. that's a nice card. So 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 the chase is fun, right? So let's talk about the chase, right? Um, that is one of the cool aspects of the hobby. I mean, people use a phrase like grail, uh, the grail cards, where a grail, but that that what makes things a grail is that you have to chase it down, right? You have to go find it. You have it. You know, it's not you know, the path to it. I think I said it on our episode yesterday, right? The, you know, the, it's, it's more about the journey than the destination, right? And, you know, part of what you're having fun, you know, doing is trying to find it, trying to track it down. Um, that doesn't always have to be, you know, a, a one-on-one tray rookie card. It could be almost anything. So is there a, a gold vinyl tray optic that you're looking for now? Or you, you, you right now, you go to sleep at night and say, you know what, I'm not looking for one. Or you don't have to tell me if you don't want, because you don't want somebody else to go grab your idea, especially if you're chasing one-on-ones. Great <laughs> Great question. Yeah. So, in, and I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you some information. So I, sure. I, I have a few Kobe's right now that I'm really looking for that I would love to find. Um, they are each numbered to 25 or lower. So I probably wouldn't say exactly which cards just because it probably wouldn't benefit me to do that. A 2012 um, Prism Silver? Well, that's not, that's not high end enough for you. Actually, so my best card is I, I own Kobe's 2012 Prism Gold. Um, wow. It's, it's we're gonna one. talk about it all, Cage. You just want to jump around. Wow. One of Nat no, Turner's. No, he won't. No, Adam. He won't Adam, give, Adam he, just he had Nat Turner. Adam just had Nat Turner on his uh, uh, show, mm -hmm. and he did an interview with him. in 2012 is one of the what we call uh, ex Im very important. Let's use it releases in today's hobby. So I want to get there, but let's get back to Kobe autos. Yeah. So like. Yeah, so, so the, the, the Kobe cards, like those are the, a couple of them are the ones that I'm sort of most interested in finding right now. But dude, your, your perspective is perfect because you're right. You can't go out and buy those straight out the gate. I only asked, I asked about that specific one because I have one. So maybe if he wants it, I could facilitate a move for him because there's only 10 PSA 10s in the world. So 
Which one? The Kobe, the 2012 Prism Silver. Oh, yeah. PSA Did 10. you see one of those sold last night? The BGS 95? I have a 10, PSA 10. Did you see? Yeah, cool. No, awesome. how, much did, how much did it sell for? <laughs> it sold for, I think it was almost six. I think it was like 5,900 or something. Yeah, it's not bad. Not bad. It's not bad. I think, yeah, I think that's great. But um, but yeah, to, to that point, like I, I, I think that you can't go out immediately and afford some of those things. But what you can do, and this is, this is one of the points that I talked about is when you get one of these cards, the Trey Gold Vinyl is exactly one of these, right? So like, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll let you see behind the curtain a little bit. I bought that card in, you know, like not that long after Optic came out. I paid $2,500 for that card. Like that's like closer to the price of like a hollow. Yep. Oh yeah. Um, but like I, I've had several times where I've been so tempted to move it because it, because it, you know, it's gone up so much, but for me, one of these important principles that I talked about is when you get a card like that one, where the, I don't want to say the sky's the limit because that's way too hypey, but like where it has the chance to grow, like it's, it's Trey's best. It's like one of Trey's best cards. Yep. And so even though like Trey may or may not be somebody who I believe is going to be like an MVP level player, like he is somebody who I believe had the chance to do some really big things. And I thought, I, I'm risking relatively little here. $2,500, I mean, $2,500 is still a lot of money, but like I was always going to be able to get something for it. And I thought it had a huge potential trajectory. So I've kind of made that decision not to sell it. And, and that, you know, obviously hindsight's 2020, but that obviously has been, has been smart. To your point though, how do you get to that point where you can go put down $2,500 on a card? That's where, you know, my, my first, uh, my first buys uh, come back to in 2011. I had, 10 Ricky Rubio Chrome rookies and uh, Chrome Refractor rookies. And I didn't buy those because I believed he would be great. I bought those because I believed that there would be a shortage when he came when he came back to the NBA. And when he came back to the NBA, I sold those things as fast as I could. I took those gains and then I put them into other things and put that into other things and put that into other things and fortunately had more wins along the way. Than so awesome. let me ask you, and I apologize to jump on you, but I try to put myself into the, um, into the shoes of um, our listener who's listening to this and going through it. And if I were sitting there in my car or, you know, at the gym and say, Oh man, how'd they let him get off without asking this question. Right. So I, I'm going to ask you, right. So, you know, and, and so yeah. you, back to the, back to the tray, um, one-on-one optic that you bought the one-on-one optic that you bought for $2,500 back right way after optic came out. Right. So, so it reminds me of an episode we had with, um, I always go back to it, right. A kid named Rips who in 2012 was going to buy Giannis. And he bought a whole bunch of Yonda stuff. And, you know, if I were listening to this podcast, I'd be like, come on, obviously, come on. He, you know, he, he did good. He bought, he bought Giannis. That's why his cards are worth so much money. You know, you name it. So I know Trey was a big name, right? But I, I, I tried to put rips into a corner. I said, all right, well, you, did you just buy Giannis? Like, are you that lucky? Are you the smartest person on earth that you decided I'm going to put all my money into Giannis in 20, 2013? Um, so the same question I'm going to, I'm going to hit you with, right? So yes, $2,500 is a lot of money, but right now, obviously any one of us would scrape together $2,500 to buy that Trey card. Was Trey your guy back in 18? Did you also buy, uh, I don't know, uh, um, DeAndre Ayton, which went down a little bit, although they're going up now. Did you, did you know, did you, how did you hone in on Trey? He went, hard on, you, he went hard on Mo Bamba. Well, I mean, seriously. I mean, Mo Bamba is a great example. Thank you. There was a name like that that I was trying to find. Like, there were other guys who you could have bought a $2,500 card on Mo Bamba, and now he's sitting there going, shit. So, so how do we, we focus on Trey? Or were there three or four guys that you put into at the time and said, you know what, as long as one of these pays off and becomes Trey, I'm fine? Dude, I've made so many mistakes. <laughs> Good. I like it. 
I can tell you because you're human. You're human. This is yeah, good. I, I mean, I can tell you, I can tell you about a million of them. But by 2018, my collecting had changed. Like I literally, I bought two cards. I can tell you right now, I bought two cards in 2018. The two were the Trey Young, and then I also bought a gold, also from Optic. I bought the gold um, autograph number two of ten of Shea Gilgis Alexander, and that is all I bought. I did not. I've never owned a Luka Doncic card. Never owned one. I love Luca. He's amazing, but I have never bought one because, you know, you guys, as you, as you had your conversation um, that I listened to yesterday, like this, this like conversation about like who you should invest in and where they're going to go. Like, I was like wanting to scream through my, through my you know, <laughs> podcast, through my phone. Like I wanted to say all that matters when you distill it down, if you're thinking about it from an investing perspective. And again, the magazine that I do and everything I do is not investing related. I'm professionally like, I work for a private equity firm. Yep. Like I, like I'm professionally working in this world of investments. I don't think about investments. I think about like what I like and what I want to own in terms of cards. But you know, you you um, you know, you talk about like like if you wanted to distill it down, your whole conversation yesterday. There's only two things that matter: your entry point and your exit point. And so, what I wanted to say to your conversation yesterday is, no one's going to argue that Trey's going to be better than Luca. Although there's some probability, there's some some percentage chance that that could happen. What I would argue all day long is that if you look at entry prices and exit prices and the multiple that expands over, over across that, the only two things that matter are those entry and exit, exit points. So, so look at that. And if, if Trey is one-sixth of Luca or whatever, then that's, like, that's meaningful. All, you know, if, if one doubles, like it, it's, it might be easier. You can make the argument that it might be easier for Trey to double than it is for Luca to double, even though Luca is probably going to be better. Does that make sense? Like the entry point, exit point thing? A hundred percent was the argument I was trying to make. It was the argument I was trying to make entirely, but I guess I didn't do a good enough job. But no, you but did you're, you're, you did a you're, great you're, job. Stop, you're, stop being so de- self-deprecating. But I mean, listen, that. But but I'm I'm shocked about the only buying two cards in 2018. Right, but I mean that's look. I guess you know you 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 focus in and you hone in on the ones that you want to get. You make sure you get them. Was 2019, 2020? Uh, are we also you know limiting our buys now? Have we? Have literally, we... Not, so I, I can't. This is another rule that I have. Again, I'm like sharing secrets that I probably shouldn't, but I'm just gonna tell nice. you. Nice. That's how good I am at this questioning thing. I have never, I've never <laughs> owned a Zion. I've never owned a Jaw. I've owned one Trey. I've never owned a Luca. I own some Donovan Mitchell stuff because I'm a big jazz fan. I haven't owned any Ben Simmons stuff. So we're back to 2015, right? Like, I don't believe, I, I look, I made so much, I don't want to come across as arrogant. I made so much money with Anthony Davis, right? When Anthony right. But I don't believe in buying in, in, in to specific players at this point. It's not how I do it. It's not that there's anything wrong with that, but like, I would much rather be buying things that I want to own for the next 10 years than things that I want to own for, uh, you know, like we're playing different games. There's no, like, I don't view it like a stock market. I view it like I'm buying the things that I really want and then I hang on to it. But having said that, and this is the important thing, the, the important caveat, I, I have done the other thing and it's really enjoyable. It's just not where I'm at now. I don't, I don't yeah. do that. Well, well to touch on that, Point number five of your principles was there's many ways to make money in the hobby. So that's right. So who who has had the the most gains? Like as far as I know, over the course of the last three months, it probably is Kobe. Like, okay, so like 
that, I mean, he, that's not how we typically think, right? We're thinking about who's the next big prospect, who's going to have the big game. Like you kind of associate own, owning stock in a player with buying their prism silver cards. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's amazing. But at some point the player gets old and you have to figure out like what you want to own long-term. Like I'm thinking about like 10 years from now, I'm thinking about like, what do I want in my collection? Yep. Forever. I'm glad you went there, Adam. And I, I think of you as one of the like the Kobe experts. And it's hard to understand the Kobe market. So maybe we could analyze it a little bit here together. What makes the Kobe market a little difficult for me is his rookie years right during that junk wax era. So there's quite a few of his rookie cards. Then you have this like mid 2000s, you know, where you have the exquisite and the upper deck uh, with some beautiful patch autos. And then he spans all the way through Panini and gets popularity and demand there. So it's hard to know with Kobe. And then you have the inserts, which I I didn't even touch, right? It's hard to know with Kobe what to buy, right? Do you go just the standard tops paper? Do you go the chrome? Do you go an insert? So I'd love to hear from you, Adam, how you even just more macro look at the Kobe market. This is a selfish question because, you know, I love Kobe. Like I'm trying to understand the market. So this is just for me, really. This is, this is where like the, the benefit of being here for the last 30 years, never having left the hobby, like being an obsessive weirdo who loves basketball. Being here, being here on earth. Yeah. The last 30 years. Yeah. He means in the hobby. Everybody, yeah, else, like, well, everybody else was in it 30, 40 years ago, but took 20 years off. That's right. He's, huh. he's seen the trend the entire time. Yeah. So maybe I'm wrong. Cause like, like, again, I've been wrong about so many things and I can, if you want me to list them, like at one point I had like the world's <laughs> largest Andre Karolinko collection. Like I've got, yes. AK 47. I've messed up so he many was so times, good. but like, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you look at Kobe, like you're, you might be able to make the point that he's like, he's got more basketball cards than any player ever. Like that's probably true. So how does that work out with supply and demand? doesn't feel like it works out pretty, very well, does it? But then you think about some of the other aspects and um, you know, I, I mean, I'll give you an example. I have a card going up for sale soon. That is a Kobe. It's a, it's a tops Chrome rookie. It's not that I don't want to own Chrome. It's just that like, there's a lot of Chrome Kobe rookies out there. That doesn't really interest me the same way. That doesn't mean it's not going to quadruple in value. It might, but like, the whole market has seen ups and I'm like anybody else. I've had gains along with the whole market. And um, some of my really rare stuff has become more, you know, interesting. And I've had to sell some of that stuff along the way. But, um, but when, but to answer your question, Andrew, like I have bought the stuff of Kobe's that I feel like is the most significant based on brand, based on the look of the card. And I might be wrong about lots of things and, 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 and him come back to you next. Maybe we'll do another show in another year and we'll go, man, Adam is just so stupid. Why was he buying all that Kobe stuff? Um, but it's gone well so far and I think it'll keep going well, but, um, but, but the bottom line is, cause again, I don't want to get too far away from who I really am. Like I want to own Kobe Bryant cards. I don't want to own a lot of the newer stuff. It doesn't interest me. And following the day to day doesn't interest me the way that the way that it used to. So not a grail one, but if we're not going to do Chrome, where is some place that a Kobe fan should be looking on their Kobe cards? Because normally I would say autos, right? I would say autos, especially because obviously of his, you know, untimely demise. But, you know, anybody who knows anything about the basketball world knows that Kobe was a tremendous Panini autograph whore, right? Am I, am I saying something horribly blasphemous now? No, right? Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> so I mean, he you know, he signed everything that they put in front of him. There was a lot of Kobe autos out there. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. And so my question, you know, going back to February, my question was which of his autographs matter? Because I think you're hitting on something that's exactly right. He has autographs that are like commodities, you know, like where you could just say, this is a Kobe autograph and it's a Kobe autograph and it's Kobe autograph and that's the end of it. But then there's cards where you're like, this is a card that is significant and it's autographed. And so what I've tried to do, and again, I might've done it wrong. I don't know, but like, I've tried to make sure I have the things that are both the right card and and that are autographed. No, I don't just have autographs, obviously, but like, um, but I, a lot of what I have is autographs. Yeah. No, so I don't not, know, that may not be, but here's the thing, like, again, going back to your guys' point, like, that may not be what everybody, where everybody starts, and that may not be where everybody ends. Like, that's what's interesting to me personally, but you know what I get? I get waking up every morning and looking at the stats from the night before and seeing how your guy did, who you have the gold prism card of. You know, I get what it's like opening a pack, of, uh, opening a box of NT for a crazy amount of money and pulling a guy that you don't know who he really is. And then like looking him up and trying to find out if he's something you want to keep or, or get rid of. And then like building a collection around that guy. I mean, I'll give you an example. I bought a box in 1995 of classic basketball and I pulled an Eric Snow autograph card. Most people don't even know who that guy is anymore. But Eric Snow- I'm from Philly, buddy. I'm from Philly. You love Eric Snow. I love Eric Snow. How he bad was that Sixers team talent-wise, right? He took, to, that... he took you guys to the finals with Iverson, right? I mean, he... Yes, he did. Aaron McGee. I followed him. Andrew, I followed him for probably five years of his career because I pulled his card out of a pack and I wanted to watch it go up and down. Like, I loved doing that. It was so much fun. Um, and I don't know what I did with the Eric Snow autograph anymore or what I did. With, I probably sold it. I, maybe I have no idea what I did with it. But, like, that thing what like equating you know creating in your mind this idea of stock in a, in a in a player and then watching them that's very rewarding and very very fun and i certainly wouldn't look down on it it's just not what i do so much of anymore so if i look at my collection my, my, my last point on this if i look at my collection right now how many cards do i have you guys are gonna laugh at me how many cards do i have of current players in the nba i have a tray i have a donovan i have a few rudy gobert's i've got a, a bunch of lebron um, some KDs, a couple of KDs, um, Harden, um, and then an Andre Iguodala. I probably got four or five more, a, Chris, a few Chris Pauls. I probably have 30 cards of players that are currently active in the NBA, but it's, it's, uh, it's not what I love anymore. And, um, and having said that, I will always have one card in my collection that will be highly speculative. Um, right now, it's the Trey Young. I also have a Giannis um, Immaculate Acetate rookie card, which is a big card. Um, but besides those, like, I don't have anything that's really highly speculative at this point. It's all stuff that's more baked. You, this is a question for Cage, and then uh, I'll jump to Adam. So you and Nat Turner, you guys talked about important sets, okay? It's a two-part question. Um, one, what makes an, a set important? You know, what is the criteria for an important set? Why is some, a set important? Uh, and second is, what do you think, Cage, are some important sets? You want me to answer the first question? Yeah, go for it. Um, or was that for Cage? No. I want both of you guys to go. Okay. Cage, you want to go first? No, man. You're the guest. That's how this okay. works. I was taught so, well. 
the thing that Nat and I both agreed on in that article that was really interesting is we both agreed that when Prism originally came out, neither of us liked it. And I think that's interesting because I think Nat's like so smart. <laughs> he's obviously so smart. I think it's kind of dumb for me to say that. Like he's so smart and you want to follow him. He had no idea that it was a big deal. And now everybody agrees that it was a big deal. Um, the, the, answer, the answer to your question, I think, Andrew, is I don't know that we can know it when it comes out. I think that it's something that's organic. And some people will try to hype things and try to pump things and try to create like, but it's, it's hard to actually create that as one person or even as a group of people for it to be sustaining, for it to be a long-term sustaining thing. It just has to be like the will of the market and predicting that is, re I, it's not, it's not easy. I, I, again, 30 years helps me. I'm not perfect at it at all. And I, I can't give you a set of criteria that's, that, that works every time. It's also, um, so I'm going to tell you too, right? 2012 Prism is, a, is, a, is an amazing basketball set. And I will say that probably everybody hated it at the time and nobody knew what, what it was going to eventually be 10 years later because there were other basketball sets that were out at the time. I mean, it was, you know, towards the tops was coming to an end and Panini was taken over and, and um, you know, it was, it was, it's an interesting thing, right? But there were other Panini sets. I mean, we, all, we, we talk about them all the time, right? I mean, there were other sets out there. The upper deck was still in there. I mean, you name it. So, so that, that's, that's the fun, right? Um, but I've, I've heard people equate it to like the 86 flare set, which at the time nobody bought, you know, nobody was buying it. People were returning that thing. So it's the same kind of, you know, the same kind of, um, uh, you know, response to it in the market, but you know what happened that 86, 87 flare set, um, not only is it an iconic set, it's an iconic set because of the cards that were in it. Right, ten years later, fifteen years later, people wanted to get that Jordan. People wanted to get that Ewing. People wanted to get that Barkley, and it, it also had the bonus of allegedly having rookie cards in it, even though it's multiple years of players. Okay. Right, so so even though Ewing and Drexler were drafted years apart, right, and Jordan was as well. So like you had Drexler coming out um, and being drafted by Portland, then the following year Jordan comes out and he's drafted. Um, and they didn't, they draft uh, Sam Bowie instead of him because they have Drexler at Portland. And then the next year you have uh, Patrick Ewing being drafted. Well, guess what? That 86 set has all of those guys rookie cards, even though it's multiple years of the draft. So it's like this amalgam of awesome, great years, right? So, so we look at the 2012, right? And you see Anthony Davis has a 2012 rookie, but people also look at it and they say, all right, well, it's also got Clay Thompson's rookie. Yeah. But we talk about how there's, there's, there's 2011 cards for Clay Thompson, right? And it's got Kawhi's rookie, and it's got Jimmy Butler's rookie, and it's got all these. So it's, it, that's one huge draw to that 2012 Prism set. And now extrapolate that out over 10 years. Those names I just threw out there, those are the big names now. Will they stay the big names in five or 10 years? Will people care about Jimmy Butler? when he's not coming off of a, of a cool magical run to the finals well people care about anthony davis when he's not paired up with with lebron and he's just a better than average player that 96 96 basketball was amazing similar right so people don't hold 96 chrome in the same regard right now as 86 fleer and as 2012 prism right but look at that 96 chrome set you know ray allen right uh allen iverson Right at the time, Sharif Abdul Rahim. Right, you really want to go into the memory. Steve Nash, Tim things. Duncan. Steve, yes, you, I mean, you mm -hmm. want to talk about like some major guys in these in these sets who were, you know, that was thought of at the time as like the best draft class, the best rookie class of all time. But it doesn't hold presently the allure. I bet you, if you were back to 2006, the same 10 year ramp we have right now to 2012 Prism, and you started talking about those cards, 
that set, if we had the boom we have now in basketball cards back then, go back to 2006, if we had what was going on in cards now then, then people will be talking about that 96 Chrome as the iconic set, the way that people are, are idolizing this 2012 Prism. Mm-hmm. So I love Adam's answer because, well, there's a lot to it. There's a nice combination of rookies and all kinds of fun stuff in there. One, you don't know what's happening when it's going on. So you're never going to know. People can, can hype mosaic football all they want right now because of a rookie class and the whole nine yards. You, just because people want to will it to happen doesn't mean it's going to happen. <laughs> That's number one. And also number two, not only do you not know about it when that release comes out, but 10 years into the mission is, is probably the absolute worst time to look at whether or not that set's going to have long-term profit because now, right now, everyone loves that 2012. Look at the rookies. Come on. I got Bradley Beal. I got Clay Thompson. I got all these guys. They're all going to be the stars of the NBA, but in five years, half those guys are going to be people don't want. You're exactly people, right. I couldn't agree more. The thing that I would add to it is, um, I, I actually would add a couple of things. One, when you talk about like, things that are relatively easy to find because those prism rookies to your point are really relatively easy to find. Um, like there's a good chance if something ends up being not rare that, or if something is not rare, that, that it will, that it will lose a ton of value at some point. And right now to your point, they're like in the middle of their best part of their career. They're in their primes right now. So of course people love all these guys, but some of them are going to end up getting forgotten. Um, that's why, again, this is, this is the way I think that's why like, I actually, I actually don't even own a lot of rookies. I don't own any rookies from 2012. I, what I own from 2012 is the, the guys that are like, that, that I, I'm sure people are going to end up, you know, loving in the end. You're, you're I, not going to tell people about your Kobe BGS 10 silver. You don't want to tell anyone about that. The that's beauty. right. Stuff like, stuff like that. You're card. such a sneak, Adam. Yeah, Let him know. I love that card, dude. I love, I love that card too. That, that might be my favorite looking card in my collection. Um, and so, yeah, that's, you know, that, that's, that's different, but I, I don't, um, I think when you think about what you're talking about right now is the idea of iconic cards. There's a lot of talk about iconic cards. So what I sought to do, um, not to, not to plug the magazine too much, but what I sought to do with the magazine was to say, let's de- define how the experts think about iconic. And so I pulled 17 people who were like the 17 names of people who you've yep. heard of in the hobby. And I said, tell me what you think the top 10 most iconic basketball cards are. And then I took those lists, I aggregated them and averaged them. And it came up with, you know, the top 10 most iconic basketball cards. And then after that, other cards that looked sort of just fell outside the top 10, the results were really surprising. Um, but that, like, that's what you want in the end, right? You want the card that you would define as iconic. That's not, ultra, you know, easy to find. And then what I did is I took that and I compared their market caps across all grades. And I said, which card has the highest market cap? And I ordered it based on that. And the results weren't identical to how they ranked iconic cards, but they were pretty interesting how they were correlated. And um, that's, you know, that's kind of what I did for the magazine. Let's talk about the magazine for a few minutes here, because uh, I was going to save it to the end, but I, I think it's super valuable. And Luca Nation, we'll, uh, we'll put the link in the episode. We'll put it as well uh, on the Instagram post. But I, I think we're flooded we're in, for, with information and we're seeking wisdom. I, I think it's no secret that today there's you'll go on eBay, you'll go on 130 point. Card Ladder is an amazing resource. There's just a flood of information, right? But Adam, correct me if I'm wrong, like you, you started this magazine with the vision, like 
like I see all of this information, but how do I actually contextualize it, right? How do I package it and present it so that someone on the other end could, could action on it, right? Like I can't action on a lot of information. I need someone to go through it, review it, process it, and then put it in a succinct format so that I could go through it in a few hours and be like, okay, I know these are the few takeaways and I, I understand how my strategy could follow that. The basketball card fanatic, I'd love for you to talk about because I think it's it's a no-brainer for someone. It's $10. It's probably got like 70 hours of work a month that, that you received. Uh, I'd love for you to talk about, you know, why you started that and, and what your vision for it is. Dude, you're kind, you're kind. You guys are both kind to allow me to take a sec to talk about it. Um, you know, the, the word curate is an interesting word because in our hobby, when things are put in front of you and curated in such a way, it can also influence how you think about values. And so I've tried to walk this very fine line of talking about the things that I think are important and taking the thoughts of other people that I think are important and then not try to influence value. I don't, I don't ever want to be accused of pumping, right? I've been accused of it many times. I think that's because largely I had this like tremendous obsession or passion with this hobby that I've been involved in for 30, mm -hmm. for 30 years and we have very strong opinions. And so people are like, oh, he's pumping this or he's pumping that. Like the purpose of the defining iconic articles was to see what other people think is iconic and then to curate it, to say, guys, this is what everybody else thinks. This is what I think. This is what everybody else thinks. And the findings were that the Michael Jordan rookie card is the most iconic card of all time. And your um, listeners, I'll just give this away. Like, your listeners will be interested to know that the Luca Prism card was ranked amongst the experts, the experts of experts, was ranked as the number 12 most iconic card of all time. And the only card since 2003 to be that high on the list. So like, I think you guys who are loving the Luca stuff right now, you've got to look at that and go, man, like it's crazy that it's that high. What's even crazier though to me, and this is where the, the article I thought interesting is, the um, the market cap of Luca is tremendous, right? Like on the top one, on the top twelve. So I rank the top twelve in the end. Um, if you rank it by market cap, Luca. If you include his parallels, and you have to include his parallels, um, and just I'm just looking at those that have been graded by PSA and by BGS, and estimating their their value on each of the cards and each of the grades. You want to guess where Luca came in in terms of most. Um, highest market cap unless you maybe you've already looked at it but if you haven't you want to take a guess cage do you know what market cap is yes it's not necessarily a bad thing by the way i mean some of the some of the best stock performers over the last decade have high market cap so you know don't get scared away by somebody telling you that no. there's a high market cap out there you know i mean amazon and apple have humongous market caps but they've obviously been great performers in the stock market over time um, but yeah, I mean, I did not read the article. I would imagine just from quick math, knowing that there's 14,000 or so Luca prisms in the PSA population, that it's definitely in the top half of your 12. Yeah, so. you, you know, your point, Cage, is exactly right. Let me be very clear. Like, this is not to say negative or positive things about players or cards. There's no, that I, I, the whole article doesn't, doesn't make any sort of suggestions about what you should buy and what you shouldn't. And I, and I don't want to do that. That's the last thing I want to do. What I wanted to do is present the information and say, what do you think? So the most, uh, the highest market cap is Michael Jordan's rookie card. 
The second highest market cap is LeBron James's Chrome rookie card, although that card also didn't make the top 10 in terms of iconic. It came in as number two. And number three was Lucas. And Lucas is interesting because it's largely like, I thought the same thing. I thought it would be mostly about his, his base prism cards, but a huge percentage of his market cap is related to his parallels. And the thing that's surprising to me to, that, that, that I found that was a weakness in sort of my knowledge here is that parallels don't dramatically influence the, the, um, the base, the base. And so anyway, yeah, Luca, Luca coming in number three, and by the way, being ranked very high by a lot of the experts is really interesting. Like he has a path right now and, um, and a couple of years behind him too, that's really unusual and exciting. Um, he, he, like this tells me like he really like he obviously might this isn't news to you guys he might be the next thing you know he's viewed in the hobby today clearly yeah. next thing. well cage cage remember you told me this um when we kind of first started we were talking about that 2018 prism release and the luca silver the luca card how it brought so many people back into the hobby right mm -hmm. yeah yeah there are iconic cards i mean it doesn't surprise me that 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 that's an iconic card i mean that's 2018 prism so it's great we talk about 2012 prism let me let me throw a little little nugget out there nobody would give a shit about 2012 prism if 2018 prism didn't happen okay no like one care hot take hot right? take quote and, card that and you're gonna see think, that on our post luca nation think about it i mean think about you know if there wasn't 2018 prism and luca didn't happen and this guy wasn't lighting the world on fire with basically throwing up 30 point triple doubles out there and people, you know, people getting behind him. What would 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 Ben Simmons be carrying it for you? Would you know Markel Fultz be carrying it for you? You know, who would have gotten Sixers players right now? Yeah, That's well, I did that on purpose. Here. You're a Philly guy, but you understand what I'm saying, right? I mean, you know, you know, would would Joel Embiid be the one that's carrying the lamp? I mean, no, Elton honestly... Elton Brand would be Elton Brand. No. We're gonna make a Prism so... 18 card of the GM. No, the the point being, I'm going to years before 2018 where none of those rookies in PRISM, none of the guys in 16 and 17 and 15 were able to light the hobby world on fire the way that the 2018 PRISM and specifically Luca did, right? And, um, you know, the reason why people go back to 2012 PRISM and other years of PRISM is because of that. And, and look, Giannis, I got to give Giannis some credit too. I mean, Giannis, Giannis has something in Luca too, right? So Luca, Luca came, 2018 was perfect storm because he came at a time where the, the, this massive hobby growth just happened, right? Giannis, what this, the story with Giannis is, is that people were able to make some real money. It's no surprise that a lot of the guests we have on here that have built up humongous collections from nothing all came 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013 basketball. Yep. Because you could basically throw, no offense, Adam, but you could throw a dart at, at, at a wall and hit a 20 triple bullseye no matter what uh, when you come into this hobby in 2010 took me years to get out of debt after i bought all my anthony bennett cards exactly so you're <laughs> i'm anthony still bennett, paying so... off those credit card loans but what let I mean... me tell you so I, I i came from i've been sports betting for 10 12 years here okay and what one popular thing with sports betting is you like you buy picks from a tell yep well actually more often than not those are going to lose you a ton of money and people are spending 800 bucks a crazy amounts on those picks i've always wanted that same handicapper if he's so smart just send me what what you're seeing in the games and let me make my bet i want to understand your strategy i understand, want to understand what you're seeing are you someone who bets the weather are you someone who just bets against the spread do you know the referees why do i say that luca nation go out and give basketball card fanatic a try it's ten dollars yeah. like it's it. gonna have so much information for you 
so much that you can then decide, do I want to make a bet? Do I want to buy this card? You're going to be able to make a decision on top of it, but you're going to have this information laid out for you. And, and I believe in it so it. much. We're going to bother them for a Luka Nation discount. I believe we in are. it so much that if you don't feel it's worth your $10, I'll, I'll PayPal you that money right back. But I'm confident. I'm super confident because I've gotten all – I believe I've got two of the three issues. I, I, I'm not a reader. I hate reading. Literally hate reading, but I've gone through it countless hours. I reference back to it. I go back to the first issue where it's Michael Jordan cards compared to LeBron cards compared to Kobe cards and by market cap, but also by supply. And I use that in my decision making. I use it in my decision making. So Luca Nation will link it, but highly, highly recommend it. So Andrew, I I just texted you uh, multiple of our listeners by $10 just so you can see the kind of hole you potentially put yourself into. But that's some confidence in you, Adam. That's a a big number I just sent you. It's a big number I just sent you. <laughs> Adam, I wanted to ask you something else. You, you mentioned it on um, you, one of your recent podcast episodes. But, but aside from making money with cards that you actually go ahead and buy, you made money outside of that. And you mentioned three different ways, and I want to talk about them. One was you helped other people move their collection. That's you right. bought pers- partial sets. And you went and found poorly listed eBay items. And you basically kind of flipped them. Can you talk about those three? Because sometimes we think of making money on the hobby just like, hey, you buy grade and flip or you buy a PSA 10, wait seven months, the hype, uh, and then you sell it. But those three ways, you're not even you're not as susceptible to market risk because you're already buying with profit. You're talk to them. I think that's hugely important. Andrew, I'm going to sound like I'm sucking up, but that might be like my favorite question I've ever been asked in, in this sort of setting before. Seriously, I love that question. Um, and I, I would talk to you about these these things all day all day. So there's like when you talk about ways to make money, there's um, there's two components. There's performance, but there's also arbitrage, right? And the definition of arbitrage is to look for opportunities where you have like um, you have an immediate buy sell, and when you can combi- combine the immediate buy sell also with like the potential like the the, the run up that we've seen in the market, it's it's an incredible uh, potential. And that's, unfortunately, a lot of us have been able to see some of those things. So let's talk about each of those three things real quick. And I'll just, I'll just mention them briefly. There was a time where you could list, and, and this, this time still somewhat exists, where you could type in certain searches in eBay and, and filter out the things that everybody else is seeing and filter in just the things that hardly anyone is seeing that have the highest potential to find you something that is going to sell for less than it should. Whenever you can find that, you should buy it. Is, is that a plugin or is that literally eBay's filter functionality? Can you that's, can people go go and do that? Yeah, that's understanding both search terms and negative search terms and how and how to utilize those things. Or is something as simple as like have you seen people try to have you seen people um, intentionally li- like spell Michael's name wrong when they do a Michael Jordan listing? They'll do Michael and then they'll do the wrong way of spelling Michael, switching the A and the E so that it picks up both. Well, what if you could what if you could think about different ways of doing that and pick up just the you know have have a have a narrower search in terms of finding something that is likely to be mislisted like maybe 20% of my success in the hobby has had to do with that like just finding things that were like oh i bought that for 50 and it should have sold for 100 or in bigger case scenarios there's times where you buy something for 5000 and you can immediately sell it for 8 by the way, guys, don't dismiss this. This happens way more often than you think. It sounds like it's a little thing, but I'll just give you a real world example. I, I sent three um, 1999 Pokemon uh, Pikachu cards to um, Shadowless once to Probe's team to sell. 
And um, he listed all three of them at the same time. And two of them are yellow cheeks and one is red cheeks. And the red cheeks says red cheeks and the yellow cheek says yellow cheeks. And the third listing says yellow cheek without the S. And I know when I search for these things, it's I put in Pika red cheeks or I put in cheeks is the search term. But right now, cheek is what is in there. I'm, I have to call them and be like, guys, you got to fix this. Because and, and by mm-hmm. the way, they all were bit up last night. And the one that's got no S is significantly lower. So it happens. So you remember how I was talking about the two cards that I bought from 2018? The second mm-hmm. one was the Shea Gilgis Alexander. Why did I buy it? Because it was a great card that I loved and it was mislisted. And when you find that situation, you're gold. So that's one way, um, buying partial sets and collections, like people don't want to do the work. Sometimes you can do it for them. When you understand the landscape of the hobby, you know, if you understand the, you know, you guys have just mm-hmm. been talking about consignment companies. I, my other thing that I've talked about ad nauseum is the consignment companies. And although they're super backed up right now and maybe not even, yep. maybe not even totally viable to use, historically, they have been amazing to be able to quickly turn a collection. So you take a collection from somebody and you're like, okay, I'm going to go utilize these tools, ComC, Probstein, PWCC, all these other things and all the ways that you have to sell. And if you're like, okay, I'm going to take 5% of whatever the sales are here. And they're like, oh, you mean I don't have to do any work and I get all the money in the end? Yeah, except for 5%. How does that sound? Well, people are going to do that when their time's worth a lot. And um, then the last one was, what was the last one? Yeah, can I stay on that real quick? Because I think that's super important. We, 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 with the consignment companies and when you're selling someone's sets, think about what it is that they want, right? You want to help this person save time. What, what you're essentially getting paid for is to save that person time, whether that's you're sending it to Probstein or you're taking a set from someone else and listing it. So you're sending something to Probstein. Well, he spends all of his time, his people, his employees, which is his money, spend time listing, unboxing, listing. And they're obviously going to prioritize more expensive items. So what if you were able to do all the heavy lifting for him, right? What if you had an agreement with him where you're like, I'm going to do all of the scans. I have a high definition scanner. I'll do all the scans and photos. I'll do front and back. You'll notice Probstein never has front and back because it takes literally double the time to do the back. Probstein, I'll do front and back. I'll also put all of the listing titles and when I want this started, the time. And you lay all that out in a spreadsheet and you say, you know, I mailed everything to you, but by the way, here's everything organized ready to go. You, you won't believe it. You're going to get priority treatment and that's actually going to lead you to make more money. Uh, I highly recommend it. If, when you're starting out, one thing that happens is when you don't have money, you have time and be, un, be very diligent and vigilant thinking, how can I add value to someone else? How can I save someone else time? And you're going to get paid for that. I think that's super smart. I've never done the image thing, but I will tell you that everything else you just said is exactly what I have done with Probstein. They've um, they've gotten to the point, I think now, where they're so, like, they usually have done my stuff either same day or the next day at the latest, um, especially because usually the stuff that I'm selling them has an average value in the hundreds of dollars. Um, right. But they, and they do prioritize, you know this, they, they prioritize higher end too. But the last time I sent them something, it took six weeks. And, um, and that was even though I sent them, you know, listings and, um, and that's okay. Like they're, they're doing the best job they can as, as are the graders, but like, it's just, you know, no one could have seen the hobby explosion. It's not just PSA. It's not BGS. It's across the board. So we're going to, we're going to let Adam go soon, but I I do have to ask him that because it's rarely we get a chance to get somebody on here who, um, has seen this the entire time. I mean, I could talk about the junk wax era in, you know, in the late eighties and early nineties myself, because that's when I was collecting. 
Um, the hobby now is like nothing we've ever seen before, especially right. in basketball cards. Um, and obviously you, I'll ask my question. I'm almost going to answer it in the question, but obviously you see a significant future in it because you're buying cards that are, you know, blue chip, you know, real rare things that you're hoping to hold on to for a long time and, you know, not sell at any point in time. Um, you know, what do you think about the hobby in the near term and the long term? Because, I mean, you, you do bring a very different perspective to it because you've been able to ride this out for the last 30 years. You've seen the ups, the downs, the, the you know, there are some dark eras where, you know, nobody was buying anything, right? Do you see that happening? I mean, just, you know, I'll shut up and, and allow you to chime in. Well, I think it's a great question. I don't know for sure, but um, you, know, you look at the last two people who I talked to in the, the interview section in the, the magazine, and those two are Nat and a guy named Lior, who's, um, who's doing something big with a company and raised a bunch of money and all that sort of stuff. Um, in both cases, I'm talking to um, you know, people who are way smarter than me, who, who um, you know, as you listen to them, you learn that not only is money coming into the hobby in terms of like um, people buying cards and people investing in cards, but, people, but money's also being spent on the infrastructure of the hobby. Yep. Smart people like you guys are doing podcasts. Smart people are creating platforms, are creating all sorts of things to sort of make the hobby be what it has the potential to be. And it's not just one or two entities. Like there's, there are tens of millions of dollars being spent on the infrastructure of the hobby right now. And then you add to it the fractional share uh, game and, and some of those things. Another, you know, more tens of millions of dollars are being spent on those platforms. Like I have believed for years that it, was not wise to sell your highest end cards. And this is why, because of what's happening now. I don't think that's a short-term thing. I think it's a long-term thing. I don't think this is something that you are gonna wanna get out of in three years. I think this is something that is like has long-term potential, but again, you wanna be holding the right cards when those things happen for both an investment perspective and because if you're a collector like me, you don't wanna have to buy in at higher valuations later on. You wanna buy them now or you want to have bought them in the last few years. And so, yeah, I, I have an incredibly um, high pr um, belief of where the hobby can go. Um, and, and that happens even more so as, as people who are our sort of age group continue to make more money. And we have kids that are into the hobby, like we just get into it more. I don't see why it would flip at this point. I just see more of why it should keep doing what it's done over the last few years. Guys, the, the gentleman that Adam is referring to and is going to, the interviews in the article and uh, Adam's such a fascinating guy. Uh, he's he's the type of guy that's the definition of when you zig, he'll zag. So everyone's starting podcasts. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to do a written interview. I'm going to go old school 80s journalist on these guys. And th he's right, though, because there is a different element when you read an interview. So you're going to get that in the, the magazine. Um, but Lior is from the Silicon Valley. And I got a privilege to work in the Silicon Valley from 2014 to 2016. And you know what those guys were building infrastructure around then where all the investments were going? Cryptocurrency, Coinbase, and companies like that. Now those guys are starting to build infrastructure around sports cards. Well, let's take a look right now. What's happening with Coinbase? What's happening with Bitcoin? What's happening with blockchain? Now there's mass adoption. Forget about the price. It's not always about what's the price of Bitcoin. There's mass adoption. You can now go to your, like Belarus Bank just announced that they're going to start buying, uh, selling you and converting your currency to Litecoin and Ethereum and accept it. The adoption 
of that crypto is across the board. Well, sports cars are just a few years behind and Silicon Valley is starting to invest in the tech to make it bigger, better, easier use UI. I wanted to ask you, what surprised you about that interview with Lior and what's one takeaway that our community or the sports card community can action on? Uh, and I know you got to go, Adam, so we'll wrap it right there and you'll drop your handles because uh, I'm, I'm really appreciative of your time today. You're the man. Yeah, um, I wouldn't say I was so much surprised um, because like I, I was, again, I work in private equity. I um, recommended two years ago that we should do a fund, that my, that my firm should do a card fund. And then the, um, I was told that to do that, I'd have to sell my collection. And I didn't want to give up those things to be able to do the other thing. Maybe it was a mistake. I don't know, but, um, but I don't look, I, I, I'm not surprised. Like I, the, it all, it all makes sense. Everything. Nick I, be, I believe Nick Sapero said something similar too about having to kind of, anyway, that was from a previous episode. I apologize. Yeah. Like it, yeah, it's, I mean, it, the, the sort of like the, the things that are going on in the hobby right now, aren't particularly shocking what is the key takeaway i think from all of it is that these aren't like we're not juvenile anymore we're talking with really smart people who have a lot of ability to influence things who believe in the hobby and so you know i think what will happen to you and this is why i wanted to interview lior like lior just spent four million dollars on two basketball cards mm -hmm. like what $4 million on two basketball cards? Like it wasn't that long ago that $3.2 million was the most money that had ever been spent on any card. It was a baseball card. We are now in a world that's very different. Like six figure cards, trade trade hands all the time. Five figure cards aren't a big deal anymore. Uh, that's very different than how we were even four or five years ago. And so reading that article, I think should give everyone a perspective of, oh, this is what's happening now. This isn't just something that's made up. This is where we are. And uh yeah, I, what I would say, let me, let me just wrap up by saying, you know, you, you guys are, you guys are doing something awesome here to do this every day, to have these conversations, to educate people, but also to just like talk about the things that are interesting to you. It's, it's not only a labor of love, but it's helpful to those people who are out there. And I, I'm grateful that you guys would give me the time and, and, and love, love your perspective on things um, to be able to, you know, I'm just going to be like, let people see behind the curtain right now. I'm just trying to get uh, issues into people's hands because I believe that once people get the issues in the hands, they're, they're in their hands, they're going to go, Oh my goodness, this is not a small undertaking. This isn't just like some newsletter. This is like a legit magazine and it's well-designed. It's well-written. And uh, you guys have been saying it's 10 bucks, but for, for your listeners for the next um, three days, what's today, Wednesday. Yeah. So till Friday, I'd like to make, um, you know, I'd like to make them a special offer. And, you know, and this is something that hopefully will be beneficial to the magazine, but hopefully it will be beneficial to you guys too, because, um, because you guys get, I think, what did we say? Like 50% of this or close to 50%? Um, for Cage is my lawyer. Cage is my lawyer. So all negotiations go was through. Was it three out of the eight? Yeah, it's three out of the eight bucks. So That's right. Who orders, orders uh, issue three, which is out now. If you order it, you will get it today. Um, or whenever you order it, you'll get it that day. Uh, eight bucks to uh, paypal.me slash basketball card. Alternatively, you can just PayPal me at basketballcardfanatic at gmail.com. Um, PayPal, eight bucks. Three bucks goes to these guys. Five bucks comes to me or whatever the fees are, less, less that. 
um, and uh, support, you know, support the magazine, support these guys for everything they're doing. And, and if you like it, then, you know, subscribe afterwards. And if you don't like it, then something's wrong with you. How about that? <laughs> we like it. How are they going to know it's from us? Did they put Luca Nation somewhere in there? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, good call. Do you want to do Luca or Luca Nation? I thought Luca was short. That's what works for me. Our guys are used to it. We call them Luca Nation. But yeah, Luca, Luca Nation, whatever you want to put it, whatever you tell me, Adam, whatever works we'll for you. We'll give me. you both. We'll give you All both. Right. So, if, so just add that to the comments when you when you make the purchase. Um, and then, like I said, like uh, if you want to subscribe after that, that'd be amazing. But if not, hopefully you'll at least see and appreciate the work and time that's going into it because guys, it's a lot. It's a lot of work to get this thing ready. Awesome. It's amazing. Can I ask uh the first edition the first one could you send them that one as well yeah absolutely i will do that because you know i love kobe i love jordan i love lebron and that breakdown that you had in that first uh it helped me with my buying decisions so yeah yeah i'd love to do that awesome. I, I thought you know I'll, I'll just i'll add to that real quick and i know we're out of time but i'll do it real quick like each of those pieces that i'm doing i don't know what the outcome is when i start I start, I give myself like a hard question and that's what issue four will be too. I've, I've asked myself some hard questions and said, what's gonna be the answer after I do the research? And then I present the research and you can do that what you want, but I'm not trying to sway people. I'm not trying to tell people, go do this and go do that. Like it, it's just a, here's the information sort of facilitated in a way to still down to something that's most basic, but also like rich and full. And then, you know, let people make the decisions that they're gonna make. You I love it guys. Adam, thank you so, so much. Guys, follow him. The Real 27, just 27 guy. Uh, we're going to tag all his handles. I hope you guys found a ton of value here. And you know what I, What strikes me about Adam is he's super helpful. So if you have any questions, post this uh, episode. Send him a DM. Reach out. Uh, we talk about it all the time. But thank you so much today, Adam. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for the time. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for spending some time with us on another episode of the Lucas Tigers and Bronze Oh My podcast. Um, do us a favor and like, subscribe. Now, you know what? Don't just like and subscribe. Everybody does that. If you like us, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your enemies, tell everybody. And uh, we hope you got something from spending some time with us today and we'll see you next time. Thank you.